we can turn in our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Red Pew Bible, page number 924. Last Sunday I started a, a kind of a mini-series in Matthew. We moved into the parables of Jesus and we're looking at a series of parable and almost like a kind of a sermon in, a, in itself of parables. And uh, this week we're looking at verses 10 through uh, 17, which is kind of like a, um, an aside that, that Jesus has with his disciples when they began to ask him why he, he changed his methodology of teaching. And so let's read uh, their question and Jesus' response, and that will frame uh, what we'll be thinking about in regard to the purpose of parable uh, in Jesus' teaching ministry. Uh, verse 10 says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeking they do not see, seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now this week I asked uh, chat GPT, that's artificial intelligence, to generate a new parable based on seeds, soil, and a sower. And this is what I got. I asked for it to give it to me in 150 words or less. Once... A sower journeyed, scattering seeds with care. Some fell on fertile soil, growing into fruitful plants. But others found rocky ground, unable to root. Some were choked by thorny bushes. Undeterred, the sower sowed with faith. Why scatter seeds with only a few flourish? Asked an onlooker. The act of sowing is an act of faith, the sower smiled. Every seed holds potential for life, growth, and transformation. Even if only a few bear fruit, their abundance surpasses the rest. The onlooker pondered, understanding the lesson, in life we are both sower and seed. We must sow our dreams, embrace uncertainty. Some flourish, others falter, but each seed carries greatness. The parable teaches us to fearlessly scatter our dreams talents and ideas 
Even if only a few succeed, they yield bountiful harvest. So let us sow with faith, nurture with love, and trust in the potential within. Please note the great difference between Jesus' parable that's soil and that of chat GPT. It's remarkable that this AI generation equated humanity with both the seed and the sower. And the bias of the machine is absolutely obvious, to me at least. It adopts a Buddhist worldview in which we are living within the world's soul. Uh, in fact, uh, that last little line, you know, trust the potential within, doesn't it sound like a fortune cookie? <laughs> the biblical seed and the sower was left unexplained. We're used to having it taught to us and having it explained. But when Jesus first gave that parable, his disciples were legitimately concerned. Because a figurative story loses its power if it's not interpreted and explained. And a parable can become very dangerously subject to anyone's interpretation. And Jesus intended his parables to be kind of like an inside joke. Unfortunately, many of us have been in company where there's been an inside joke, and it kind of leaves us on the outside wondering why I'm missing this. And uh, not a lot of us like those situations. And so a listener's bias might lead a listener to hear the parable and come to a drastically different interpretation. And so the disciples asked Jesus why he's teaching in such an opaque style. It seems like, is this really helpful to those who are listening? And so this is what the disciples ask in verse 10. Why do you speak to them in parables? And in verse 11, Jesus answers and says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And so in this short reply, we are given a reason why Jesus is teaching in this more guarded method. And the word of God, Jesus tells us, divides people into two groups. The word of God actively divides listeners into two groups of people, and it reveals what kind of heart that they have. Maybe you are familiar with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, in which the author says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And when the word of God is proclaimed, whether through the mouthpiece of Jesus or the mouthpiece of his servants, there are reactions and responses that come to the word as it is given. And response to God's word reveals whether a person has a new heart or they have a hard heart. See, look, uh, in the pre-context, in Matthew 12, verse 28 through 50, Jesus 
is surrounded by his disciples who are listening to him, and his family is on the outside calling to him, asking him to come out, and Jesus shows us in this situation that a family-like affection for God the Father is indispensable for having true relationship with God himself. Having a family-like affection is manifest in actively doing the things that the word tells us to do. In verse 50, we see these words of Jesus in which he says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And we expect father, brother, sister to have family-like affection for one another and a responsiveness to communication. And so here in Matthew 13, Jesus is showing his disciples that there are certain kinds of responses to God's word and an effective, effective response indicates a significance of relationship. Our Heavenly Father desires to see our affections. He desires to see us respond to him. And uh, it's really important for us to see what Jesus says here, that uh, an affecting knowledge of God, excuse me, the word of God is sown to reveal whether we have an affecting knowledge of God or not. This is the big idea of the text. Uh, if you could go back one slide, this is uh, the essence of what Jesus says in verse 11. The word of God is sown to reveal whether we have an affecting knowledge of God or not. I, I struggled this week in my office thinking, okay, what word do you use here? We don't use the word effective that often, but it's the idea of a loving knowledge of God, an affectionate, an effective knowing. That's the difference between just kind of knowing about someone and deeply knowing their their day-to-day -day interactions with you there's a difference between me knowing george washington intellectually and then knowing him personally we know jesus on a different kind of basis because we have the gift of the holy spirit within us that shows us what he's like and this is critical and the affecting knowledge of god is a gift that comes through the holy spirit now, I want to walk through this text and show you how I come to this. In verse 11, uh, Jesus says that the word is proclaimed for various purposes. Verse 11, we see it say, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And this response to God's word reveals whether a person has a new heart or a hard heart. And a soft, new heart has a growing affection for our Heavenly Father. And we've got to accept the reality of what Jesus says here, that there will be some whom it has not been given to have an affectionate relationship with God. If we don't recognize this distinction that, that God may have purposes for his word as it's presented, we then make the grace and mercy of God less than it is. 
And we can become filled with pride thinking that we've got some aptitude or we've got something that we on our own have that they don't have in order to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. This is not an intellectual secret. Rather, it's, it's, it's the idea of a spiritual awareness about who God is through Jesus Christ. And the word of God is dynamic for those who have depth of heart. They have a heart that is soft, that's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 12, moving as we go to verse 12, we see that Jesus explains. He says, you know, to them it's not been given, but to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance but from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, verse 12 sounds a lot like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that is actually a probably a proper way to think about what Jesus is saying. But have what? What is it that they have? Well, think about the context of the parable in verses 5 and 6, and notice that in Jesus' parable, he says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. But then the sun rose, and they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. In contrast, you actually see Jesus contrast in verse 8 that there's one that has much soil that has a deep root it has a root system and that person has what Jesus would say is a depth of heart they have a heart that's soft that is able to receive the word of God in other words this listener has a depth of heart, it's soft, it's prepared by the Holy Spirit. Depth of heart is also, in this context, a metaphor for hearing well, of receiving well. And Jesus tells us that whoever has a soft, new heart, like soil, soft, it's been turned, it's going to receive the word of God, it's, it's actively going to be listening and it will be abundantly bearing fruit. And so what Jesus is telling us is that the quality of the soil matters significantly. Now, over the last few years, I've had very unsuccessful gardens because I've not had very good soil. And this year, Judy gave me some wonderfully aged uh, soil. It was horse manure that had been sitting for seven years. It essentially returned to soil from being manure after almost seven years. And I'll tell you, in this soil, this deep, fertile soil, my tomatoes, my squashes, my lettuce, my onions, my potatoes have tripled in size within three weeks. Less than three weeks, they tripled in size. I've never had so much success. And the success in gardening is as much the soil as it is the listening to Judy. 
that's how it is with the Word of God. The heart and the receiving of Jesus and his Word. And to have Jesus is to have everything. Having him is a pledge of a continual, abundant, fruitful having. And not having Jesus is to bring judgment upon oneself. John, the apostle, said in 1 John 5, 12, he said, Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, there is a dynamic quality to the Word of God that occurs in the heart of someone who's been softened by the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, the Word of God is death for those with no depth. Verse 13, we read this. This is why I speak to them in parables. This is the purpose of why I speak to them in parables, Jesus says. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, Mark's presentation of this parable is a little bit different. Uh, he uses a stronger word than uh, in their case. He uses the words, so that, so that. And that's pretty strong. Mark seems to give the indication that Jesus is purposely trying to harden these hearts. It's so that they will not be able to hear. I'm purposely using these words that are hard in order to harden the heart. Now that's maybe harder than how Matthew presents it. And so Mark gives us this impression that his purpose was to harden their hearts, and Matthew gives us the impression that their hearts perhaps were already hard. They were already hard. Now, Mark's presentation sounds an awful lot like predestination. And some have suggested that perhaps Matthew was softening Mark's harsh sound. I don't think that's the right approach. Rather, I think we rather need to admit that a smooth reconciliation of predestination and free will is not easy. It's not easy, and that's very true. Yet a harmonization is not impossible, yet we may not be able to harmonize it, but we should not assume that God cannot harmonize these issues. With God, nothing shall be impossible. And the bottom line seems to be that some people may never get it. They may hear it, they get the concepts, but their heart is never affected and they never respond to the gospel. But only God ultimately knows who that might be. We don't know. Now, in verse 13, Jesus draws these words from Isaiah, in which he quotes in full in verses uh, 
14, 15. And he draws these words, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. And it's a recurrent theme from the Old Testament world. In fact, it was in the kind of basis upon which the nighttime conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus occurred. Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly I say unto you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Jesus was giving and describing a need for a new kind of heart, a new soil that could receive and hear and see. And he was saying that it you're not going to have an effective relational knowledge of God apart from the Holy Spirit. John 3, 6 through 7 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You see, Christianity will never make sense. You won't get it. And you'll be continually frustrated by trying to reform yourself and try to be like as good as you possibly can. Unless the Holy Spirit gives you these new affections and loves for God alone. You will have a rocky heart that will be divided. And it is the word of God which reveals whether or not we have an effective knowledge of God or not. When the word of God hits, do we say, ah, I don't want that. Or do we say, this is what my heavenly father is telling me. I better lean in. I better hear what he's telling me to do and make the changes to my life so that I might and have relationship with him. Those are the differences. And the Spirit is what gives us a soft heart to love the Word. And I believe that that effective knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't know how it comes. It's like the wind and the, the leaves. We don't know how it occurs, but all of a sudden it's there. And it's undeniable. And the changes that are starting to be seen are so palpable that you've got to say that there's life there. But we don't know where the wind blows and how it flows. Now, not having an effective knowledge of God is a curse. It's a curse. Verse 14 to 15, Jesus quotes Isaiah and as we read this, he says, indeed, verse 14, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. This means that the reaction to the word of God is, it's nothing new. It was true in Isaiah's day. It was true in Jesus's day. It's true in our day. Isaiah was a preacher, just like Jesus. He was called by God to bring the word of God to Israel, to call them to repentance. And if they were willing and obedient, 
God was going to wash away their filthy sins and make them as white as snow, just like we heard in the scripture reading. Now, in Isaiah 6, we learn about Isaiah's call. This is actually where this text Jesus quotes from. And in Isaiah 6, we learn about Isaiah's calling. And we hear those famous missionary lines that I have heard all through my growing up years. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah responds instinctively and says, here I am. Send me. And immediately after Isaiah responds and says, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell Israel exactly what they should do to repent and turn. The Lord then says to Isaiah, go and say to this people, what? What Jesus quotes. That you will indeed hear, but you will never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus was an eager servant to follow his heavenly Father. He endured the cross. But he was not blindly optimistic about human nature. He knows that when the word of God hits the human heart, not every heart is good and ready to receive the word of God. Many are hard. Many are rocky. Many are thorn, thorny. But yet, he also understood that the Holy Spirit blows into hearts and lives and is able to create life where others might just see a valley of bones. Some people might say there's no hope here, folks, but that's when God moves and blows with his spirit to bring to foolishness the wisdom of this age. I've been here for 12 years and there's several folks in my life that I thought, They'll never change. And boy, was I wrong. And God moved in their hearts and blew life into them. Now, I use the word curse because that's a strong word. I know it's a strong word. But we have to be honest that to not have an effective, like a heart that loves God is a curse which may or may not lead to eternal damnation. We don't know, but it's not something to play around with. And Isaiah's prophecy, according to Jesus, is not time-specific. He quoted it and says, in this case, these people who are standing here and are rejecting me, this curse is falling upon them, just as it fell upon Israel back when Isaiah was preaching. God may set a timeline upon his patience with you. He gave the antediluvian world only 120 years of Noah's preaching. And then the door on the ark shut. And when it was closed, it was closed. 
No man or woman knows how long that they have upon this earth. And to not have a responsive heart to the word of God is a curse that ought to fill us with some sense of urgency to call upon the name of the Lord to be redeemed, to be rescued from the hardness of our own hearts. Until we know the depth of our depravity, we're going to be in bondage to our sin nature. And the devil who loves to send his minions and his birds to collect the seed will come. Martin Luther, hate him or love him, commenting on the seeds in the soil, he said this. What else does this mean but that the free choice of the human heart is held down by the power of Satan? That unless it is miraculously raised by the Holy Spirit, it cannot itself see or hear things that strike the eyes and ears themselves so plainly as to be unmistakable. The gospel is not complicated. And it is an unmistakable reality that the resurrection occurred. All of our history as we have lived has been ordered by after Christ. These are not hard things. And what Luther is getting at is he's telling us that only when we actually see that there is nothing that we can do, then, then are we really truly free to call upon the name of the Lord and find the salvation that we desperately need. Otherwise, we're trapped. And that's the wonderful news of the gospel, that those who are truly desperate evidence the work of the Spirit. It shows in their hunger, it shows in their thirst that they love and they're desiring the righteousness that comes through the gospel. They want it, they desire it. Even if it's telling them a hard thing that they don't instinctively want to hear. They want it. But as much as not having an effective knowledge of God is a curse, having an effective knowledge of God is a blessing. And that's what Jesus says in verse 16 to 17. He says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. It's a blessing because they see, their eyes see, their ears hear. Jesus is saying it's not for them, it's for you. That is designed to create a grateful response. I hate to use terms, and I've already used a few terms here this morning. But the doctrine of election exists to create grateful believers. And it also, I know, can cause sadness and worry for all unbelievers. But both can be true at the same time. You know, Paul was torn in his heart that most of his brethren had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. In fact, he was willing to be damned to hell 
if it might result in their universal salvation. Moses also had this same sense of concern. He was worried. In Exodus 32, he, even as the people were partying at the foot of Mount Sinai, and the sound was coming up, and God's anger was ready to destroy them all, Moses said, blot me out. Don't destroy them all. Blot me out. It's not a wrong emotion. It's not a wrong emotion at all. Yet if you have a deep love for your Heavenly Father, your sense of amazing grace should increase through the years. And if you have been given eyes to see and ears to hear, you are so far ahead of any other saint. I think this is what David was talking about in the Psalms when he said, I have more knowledge than my, even my teachers do. Because he had a personal relationship with God himself. I don't know how many of you have watched a few episodes of The Chosen. I've enjoyed them. I hope you've had a chance to see some of them. Uh, I think you would enjoy them. I think it's probably as close as you might get to going back in time and living in the first century, perhaps, and being in the crowd, watching what's going on. I'd often wondered, you know, what would it have been like to witness the, the water turning into wine? What would it have been like to, he, to see blind Bartimaeus, like, see for the first time and then tell you what what that was like. You know, we might think that it would be better to have lived in the first century. But you know what Jesus told Thomas? Thomas, he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those who have eyes from the heart to see, even though they can't put their fingers in his side. Peter told his disciples at the end of the first century, he said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you've not seen him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. I think I've said this many times. How is it that growing up, I can be told about a historical figure and have such a deep love for that person whom I've never seen. Saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. From a child, and have a growing desire to see him, and yet have the capacity to see him. That is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And it's a blessing. It's none other than the Holy Spirit to give you a living sense of his personhood, a taste for God. He's your redeemer. He is your eternal happiness. And this is a perfect happiness that this, this world cannot take away from us. See, what the word of God does, when it's sown... It's sown to reveal whether we have an affecting knowledge of God or not. 
Uh, Joseph Bellamy lived 1719 to 1790. He was a patriot pastor who lived during the Great Awakening and also the Revolution. His son served in Continental Army. He pastored for 50 years, 50 years in one community. Bethlehem, Connecticut. And during the Great Awakening, he, he was actively riding his horse and going around and sharing and preaching. And on his preaching tours, he saw such wild enthusiasm and response. However, however over time, he noticed that some people were falling away. And so he retreated back to his pastoral study to brood on this problem. And in one of his most famous treaties and writings, he wrote about the character of true religion. He wisely observed this, that God does not intend in the dispensations of his providence to permit us a perpetual state of ease and enjoyment, but permits us a state of trial. One great end that he has in view is that he may prove us and know what is in our hearts. And parable is kind of like a trial. They were meant to challenge the listener. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And God's word reveals different kinds of soils, different kinds of hearts, some bad and some good. A good heart is soft. It's a new heart that's been created by the Holy Spirit to receive the seed and it grows into deeper layers of affection with our Heavenly Father. But a hard heart turns away and says, I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want anything more to do with him. And there's a great contrast. And the chasm and the distance between the two is great. There is an eternal difference between the two kinds of hearts. So what do you do with a message like this? I have different hearers in the room, and I don't want to assume that everyone has a heart that is soft. In fact, there can be hard hearts. I would encourage you that if you're sensing resistance, that you humble yourself and call upon the Holy Spirit to give you the soft heart that you need to receive. There are times and seasons in which we are more hard and, than others. There are times when we are soft and tender. In those moments in which we find ourselves drifting and the hardness starts to come, we ought to be asking ourselves, why is our heart not wholly focused upon Christ? And when those revelations come by the Holy Spirit that we have loved the things of this world more than the word of God, we ought to repent and we ought to turn and open our hearts up to him again. 
This is how we ought to respond. There are different responses to the purposes. So I'd encourage you to open your hearts and let God have his work within it. Let's pray.